Hey guys, welcome to Generation Dry. I'm Kayla. And I'm Leah. Let's jump in. All right, guys, I am really excited to introduce you to my new host. You may remember her. She was a guest on our last season, Leah. Hello. I'm so excited. I know. Well, hello for the first time and kind of for the last time as you are the, you are the new <laughs> the new co-host of Generation Drive, but um I'm I'm sure you know our our listeners remember your episode, but I figure it's probably best for you to just kind of reintroduce yourself to them and talk a little bit about, you know, why mental health is so important to you. Of course. So I'm Leah. I am a licensed clinical social worker. And so I'm basically a psychotherapist in private practice. Um, I am an author and having a book coming out in October. And I've been doing therapy for, oh gosh, probably seven. Well, I mean, for licensed for about six, seven years. And then mm-hmm. I've been doing it for about like right under 10 years been providing therapy. So, um, yeah, I'm in San Diego. I have my private practice and basically how I got in this field is my, and I mentioned this before, but my parents are both social workers. My mom's a therapist. My dad was actually in like, uh, County mental health. So was Mm -hmm. an admin there and mental health has been a really big part of my life for personal reasons as well. So, family history of mental health challenges. Um, and I've struggled with OCD for almost my entire life and have been also going to therapy for a good part of my life on and off, um, as things come up and mental health is really important to me because we all have mental health. I think there's definitely a difference between mental health and mental illness. And I think that's important to recognize because, you know, you can struggle with your mental health and not have a severe mental illness. And I think that's important. I mean, we shouldn't stigmatize mental illness either, but I think people have a difficult time wrapping their brain around that you can go to therapy, struggle with your mental health and not necessarily have a full-blown severe mental illness like schizophrenia or or bipolar disorder, which both can be treated and um, supported with talk therapy and psychiatry, but I guess what I'm saying is I think everyone could benefit from therapy. Totally. I just like want to plea that to everyone that if you find a good therapist, it can be extremely life-changing regardless of your diagnosis or disorder or whatever. Um, so as a therapist, you know, I've seen significant changes in my clients and really believe in the power of therapy and how people can change and grow. And also as a client know that it's helped me so much. And I would say over the last five, six years, I've taken it more seriously. My own like therapy, like applied the, applied the stuff that, you know, yeah, I would like, I wouldn't practice what I preach. So I think the last five years, especially I've been very proactive in my mental health. I love that you brought up the mental health versus mental illness. Cause it's so true. I think just the minute you say mental health, people automatically assume like there's a negative connotation around it or that you're, you're talking about mental illness, but like, just like physical health, like everybody has mental health. And I think just like, you know, anything else you can go through, like bouts, you can have depression without having like clinical depression you know if you lose a loved one if you go through a traumatic experience like there are 
circumstances that can lead you to, to needing, you know, grief counseling, things like that. Like, and there's absolutely nothing to be ashamed about. I kind of, well, I think whenever anybody, which I guess in California, like, cause normally that's where I am, but, um, mm-hmm. as I am not in California right now, um, but, but it goes to show, right. Like where you are and in different areas, uh, it's still super stigmatized. Just, um, some of the conversations I've had here, um, back in the Midwest have been kind of, you know, me having to explain like, well, you know, I'm not an expert in nutrition. So wouldn't I want to see a nutritionist to learn more about nutrition if Mm -hmm. I was having nutrition issues or, you know, I'm not a doctor. So if something's going wrong, you know, or I'm feeling ill, I go to the doctor, you know? So if I'm dealing with mental health or mental illness, mm-hmm. why would you not go see that person? Just especially like if you have the means, if you have the insurance, like, yeah. absolutely. Just it's, it's like having a personal trainer for your brain. Like totally. And I think there's this weird, like we, we can, well, and I can't generalize because I think some, a lot of people avoid the doctor, right? Like for yes, like, right. like anxiety and fear, but like people are a lot more proactive about their physical health than their mental health. So I like that you explained it that way because we don't have to wait for essentially shit to hit the fan, right? To take care of our mental health. And I think that's so important to be proactive and seek support prior to things becoming dire like you'd see a nutritionist know, knowing, okay, I need to improve my nutrition. Like some things like obviously impacting my body in a way that's not wonderful. So I need additional support. You would do the same for, for your, we should do the same for our mental health. But I think I love that you explained it that way. I say, I explain the same thing too with medication for like diabetes. Like we wouldn't tell someone who is who's diabetic not to take their medication. Right. And if someone you know, has an imbalance of serotonin, we wouldn't say don't take, you know, like, I mean, it's just, it's very, similar, different, right? And it's in a lot of ways, but very similar. Yeah. It's just helping people understand. I think even for myself, like I take uh, an SNRI, like I didn't really understand the concept of like SSRIs or, you know, like any, you know, kind of medication and like what the difference between that and, and other medications were. And so like for somebody like me in recovery, there was a bit like a, a, short period thankfully where like I didn't think that I was really like sober because I was taking these medications only to kind of thankfully have my doctor you know explain to me you know you have obsessive compulsive disorder you know Mm -hmm. along with some other things I was dealing with panic disorder at the time I was dealing with PTSD obviously you know being a recovering addict um I had done a lot of brain damage from drug and alcohol abuse over, uh, you know, I think I was, I was, I used for maybe seven years, which I feel like in the, in a lifespan that doesn't seem like a long time, but like to your brain, that's a really long time. Um, so for me having this medication allows me to just be balanced. It allows me to just be where my brain should be rather than if I wasn't taking it, 
my brain would just still be, you know, kind of damaged on its, on a, you know, like on a little wooden leg or something. <laughs> like, you know, it's not, I, th- I think people misunderstand. Like, it's like some, oh, you're taking like drugs. It's like, no, 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 it's not, doesn't get you high. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't change who you, like, the good luck. Yeah, I was like, good luck, you know, take, it's going to take, you know, four or six weeks before you feel anything different with this. So if you really want to use it like that, you're not going to, not going to get the opportunity. You're not going to see the results. You, you... Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I like that you explain it that way too. And I explain it. I'm like, it's not going to, I think there's this, this myth that it changes your personality. Right. And if it's an actual, um, SSRI or a moods, like mood stabilizer, it's not, it's not like sedative, right. It's not, something that's going to change you. And I think that's where a lot of people have that hesitancy and equate it to other substances. And I'm always like, I always tell people like, you can always go to a psychiatrist, right. And have a full assessment and ask all the questions. No. I mean, if you're going voluntarily, you don't have to take anything, but why not go ask all the questions you want, including the fears of addiction or the fears of your personality changing or whatever fears Mm -hmm. you have, because you, there's a lot of assumptions being made. And I actually remember my, like my very first like serious boyfriend, like really being so, and granted we were like, you know, 19, 20, like pretty yeah. young. One, um, just really concerned that I was going to change into this person with my medication. I'm like, actually I'm a lot more like, I don't say sane, but like I'm more myself taking my medication. I can exactly. rationally, I can have conversations without overthinking every single like thing I say, you know? I well, that listen. kind of br- brings me to what I wanted to ask you, like from a professional standpoint, because I have OCD as well. And I think OCD especially is one of those like that's like really thrown around like oh I'm so OCD or like you know like you must really like clean a lot or whatever but people don't actually understand what it is right so I'm I'd love for you to explain from a clinical standpoint you know and obviously you know there's a wide variety of symptoms but in general uh like you said, you know, yeah. Um, what is yeah. it? Well, so you know exactly. I think we, and even like movies, like I think it's as good as it gets. Is that the movie with Jack Nicholson? Anyways, um, we think of like the hand washing, which can be part of it for some people, right? Like mm-hmm. um, compulsive hand washing or like checking things a specific number of times or, um, you know, at every light you like, say a certain word, like these rituals that are very like, um, overt, these just very specific concrete rituals that we do or that we compulsively do. And so I think people think of like, you know, like skipping cracks on the sidewalk or, um, Mm -hmm. you know, their lock or like making like, and and that can be part of it. And that definitely was something that manifested in my OCD as a kid. It it showed up like that. However, Mm -hmm. as an adult, 
um, yeah, it's not, I mean, so there's also like, um, obsessive compulsive personality disorder, which is a little bit more the rigidity, the cleanliness, kind of the order, but yeah. I don't think people know that, which is interesting. Cause I think when they're kind of referring to OCD, they're like, I'm OCD. It's more of those like personality traits. Granted, I don't think everyone has that disorder. It's very, it's not very common, but yeah. I think people think of like that, right? Like kind of like the, the cleanliness, the like obsession with things being neat and tidy. And that can be part of it. Like I do know some, or I've had clients that like like have to have things lined up very specifically and it mm -hmm. causes distress when they're not. For me, OCD is also really, it's, it's obsessive and compulsive behavior. So that could be obsessive thinking and compulsive rituals, even in your thinking patterns. So say for example, um, like you and I had a conversation over text messages and then I became like obsessed with like, did I say something like bad? Did I say something bad? And then like reread the text message. That's like the compulsive, like a reread it, reread it, reread it, reread it. And then, you know, like have these rituals to understand it or trying to try to reduce the distress. So the rituals, um, the compulsive rituals are like essentially behaviors that we do automatically that we don't always know we're consciously doing, but to reduce some form of distress, but it can be just a matter of like obsessive thinking and compulsive thinking and these more, um, mental rituals that we do. Right. So like when people like, um, have specific numbers of things, so they have to, you know, count to seven, you know, when they wash their hands ver like over and over versus like counting to 20 exactly, like they can't do yeah. it. So they'll count to seven and they'll count to another seven and they'll count to another seven. So these rituals that can be mental, and so I think it's it's a series and patterns of obsessive thoughts and then ritualization. So then things you do to um, reduce the stress with the obsessions. And it can be physical. It can be like the, the turning the light on and off. It can be washing the hands. And it can also be um, mental. So like rereading a text over and over again or something like that. So, But it's impairing. So I think sometimes people say, I have OCD. And I'm, we're not trying to minimize what they're going through, right? Or that maybe they have anxiety or there's like, you know, some some self-doubt or self-criticism when it comes to social interactions or whatever. But with OCD, it becomes severely impactful and you can't function. Like you cannot function because you're stuck on this compulsive ritual. <laughs> and it's very frustrating. So frustrating because it's almost like cognitive behavioral therapy for me has been difficult and challenging it because it just, it feels so compulsive. Like, it's not like I can think this thought's irrational because it's not even about that sometimes. It's just like this compulsive need to think about something or obsess about something. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. How about, I, like, how do you, how does it manifest for you? So, and, and like you, like, you know, when I was little, it was totally different. I had all these strange phobias. Um, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I used to like, at one point I was really, um, I would refuse to wear socks. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> and now as an adult, right now, and also, you know, I've gone through CBT and DBT and ACT and all the good stuff. Um, and I've been medicated, you know, for like 10 years. Um, and I think just understanding what it is, like you said, because, at least in my experience, it was just this constant discomfort of being myself yeah. and not understanding where it was coming from. And it is, you know, it is anxiety. But then, like you said, creating and really living your life around these rituals that you create to, to help with 
the, the discomfort you're feeling. So I would do, and I'm better about it now, but like, like when I was living alone a couple of years ago, I had gotten really, really obsessed with, um, cleaning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, like that is more the obvious one, but to the point where, and this still sometimes happens and I, I have to watch myself and it's not just cleaning it. It's something that I'm, I'll be doing something and I will like have an appointment or I'll have something I need to do where like, it's obviously, you know, I have a therapy appointment. I, I have to leave or, you know, I need to shut down what I'm doing. And, and I cannot not finish what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Like it bothers me to s- such a deep level not to complete something, whatever I'm doing. <laughs> I can. And I've, <laughs> and I've really had to work on that to, to like, it's okay to step away from like, even if I'm coloring a picture, like I'm, I'm doing something that's supposed to be like, you know, complete soothing and yeah, like nice and. Um, and I turn it into something else. Um, but yeah, for, for me, I guess now it's, you know, I notice that I, I do like, for me, I pick my skin. Like that's for me, oh gosh, one of the, me too. Yeah, I'm one of the ways that I, and I, I'm really, I'm trying and have been trying for a long time to be a lot better about it. I have like my habit tracker which I like made it all colorful and I put stickers on it and I, you know, reward myself for however many days I don't pick, but it's such, I mean, and I used to be way worse about it. I mean, I would sit up in the mirror, like with tweezers, with any sort of whatever, like you're not supposed to have and just (laughs) dig into my skin because there's such, just such relief in this like cleansing I and also you know like I'm obsessed with like you know Dr. Pimple Popper the new season just started and like <laughs> but I think you know and what I noticed too when I when I was when I was drinking when I was using I would also like pull out the bottom of my hair mm. when I'm really stressed um and I don't do that now um in sobriety but I, I just, I still, I still have my rituals, you know, like there are still things that I have to, like, I put on my deodorant, like the same amount of times on each side, like, and if I don't, it really, like, it irks me and I have to, and I have to either go back or it's something, you know, like it, it's, it's something as simple as that, as like, I, I count the number of times, you know, I put on my deodorant one, two, three, four, five, six, yeah. uh, but if I do it wrong on the other side, it's like, all right, now I have to go back and I have to read back. I have to go back and redo it. Yeah. Or like, I just can't, I, and I'm trying, I've been trying recently to try and, uh, you know, I guess expose myself to like, well, what, what happens if I don't have an even number of deodorant on both sides? Like, will my life go on? But I think what people don't understand is like, it's the comfort that comes from that. And, and the simple rituals like that of, brushing my teeth you know at the same time or folding my sheets a certain way or like I don't I can't I can't deal with certain like I don't like sheets I can't sleep with sheets I can't deal with certain fabrics Uh like I'm just very sensitive when it comes to 
noises and, and other things too. just it. And I think that's for me, how it shows up just very, it, there is rigidity for sure. But when I'm not in a good place and I'm not doing my like prevention stuff, which is for me, you know, like taking my medication, going to therapy, going to yoga, taking care of my physical and my mental health, mm-hmm. then I kind of digress back into, um, you know, I have to have everything perfect. I, I have to have everything lined up. I have to have all my clothes need to be color coordinated. Everything needs to be spotless at all times. If anything is out of order, my life is out of order. And mm-hmm. I equate, you know, like what I'm seeing around me as, you know, like, like you said, if, if everything is organized, somehow this tells me that if all my colored pencils are, are in order and in the box correctly, then today will be a good day, Yeah, you know, which obviously makes no sense. There's no correlation, but in my head it does, but I I've noticed that through the work and, um, having less anxiety and, and working on my OCD, I'm able to now not have things so perfect. Or if I leave my room and I don't make my bed one morning because I get up early and decide to, you know, do a yoga class really early. Um, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, like I might think about it a little, but it doesn't, you know, I don't catastrophize anymore. Yeah. Like, and I'm, and I'm able to work through like, you said, kind of noting like, all right, well, I'm having a thought, but I know that it's irrational. So, you know, I'm noting it and I'm letting it go. Mm-hmm. But I think for me and, and other people I've talked to of OCD that it can lead to, and for me, it did, well, I think, you know, I picked up drinking, mm-hmm. even though for me, my personality is, is very rigid and, and controlling and I like to be in control. And so you would think like, well, why would you like to be drunk because that's like the complete opposite um but it it was the only time I felt comfortable Mm. in my skin and not having to think about you know like the obsessive thoughts or not having the anxiety of like did I text this person like what did did I what did I say like should I you know like and and just on and on and on it kind of you know it silences everything Um, that offers a sense of control though right like I mean I know it sounds like it sounds counterintuitive, but being able to like numb with alcohol and not have those in like obsessive thoughts or like those feelings that are really difficult to manage. So when I think a lot of times like substance use or other addictions like disordered eating or mm. like a way to take control by numbing things. So it's, I think it's a lot of times people pick up those behaviors to control, to control, in oh, yeah. a way, right? Like, so it can be destructive. It's like, so again, like so counterintuitive, it's destructive in a lot of ways, but it's also like clearing your mind of all the obsessive thoughts and the discomfort. And so it becomes this ritual, right? To manage. Mm-hmm. That. Okay. So totally kind of off topic, but not really because it's mental health, duh. Um, but <laughs> Um, I know I, so I asked our Instagram followers, 
about topics that they wanted to hear. And this is a topic that I've been talking about a lot on my own personal social media. I even have a highlight up about like my EMDR journey. So, you know, drum roll, da, da, da. I want to talk about EMDR, uh, <laughs> which I have trained in. And I think it's this, you know, this really new um, therapeutic device that so many people don't know what it is. They don't really understand how it works. It kind of is scary. Like, I feel like when I tell people about it, they're like, you know, were you scared? Totally. And I'm like, yeah, I was. I, I was afraid that like it was going to re-traumatize me or it was going to like be like exposure therapy and bring stuff up. And it, re- I really haven't had that experience so far. I've only been doing it for about a month, but I've found so far, it's been really helpful for me with my with me reprocessing old traumas mm-hmm. specifically for me with panic attacks and anxiety around my driving. And then the next step we're working on is anticipatory anxiety. Cause for me, that's kind of even more of the issue is like, Oh man, like I'm having to go get in the car and drive 20 minutes. Like what if this happens? What if this happens? Like mm-hmm. freaking myself out before anything even happens. So that is what I'm doing it for, but I know it has a lot of different usages and whatever. So I would love for you to kind of just explain like what is EMDR? So it was, it's a modality. And like you said, it's like relatively new in the sense of like, it hasn't been around like CBT, but it's still Mm -hmm. like, it's gosh, I want to say it was developed like nine early nineties. I could be completely lying. Um, but it's been around for definitely more than 20 years they just are doing more and more research to validate that it's it's helpful and effective and you know a reliable intervention because I think for a long time it did seem very like woo-woo and very intimidating and scary and just odd because the concept is really odd and actually as a therapist when we're doing the training we're taught like how to explain it and like not to over explain it because I think it just like it feels like it's a weird thing to explain right it's just like very because you know, it's kind of similar, I don't, not exactly, but similar to like medication, like SSRIs, where we don't know exactly what it's doing in the brain, but we do know like it's increasing the serotonin, right? So we don't know exactly how it works, but we do know it helps to increase serotonin, which helps with mood and regulating anxiety. Yes. So with EMDR, so, well, and I want to say this too, is I think it was also initially tied to PTSD only, and now it's being used for phobias and generalized anxiety and other related issues. And I don't have a diagnosis of PTSD, but it was super helpful in helping me to process past events and experiences that have led to these beliefs I had about myself and it impacted my relationships and with my family and dating and just my body image. So you don't have to have a diagnosis of PTSD or have like, you know, this stereotypical trauma or traumatic event to benefit from it, which is really cool. And I think that's where a lot of people are seeing that it's not solely for PTSD symptoms. Um, it's so basically, and I'm just going to try to do it and like do my like elevator pitch, which, which I tell clients it's the use of, it's hard. Cause I'm like, I try, I try not to over explain it. Right. Um, but it is when you stimulate the right and left side of your brain back and forth. So that's a bilateral stimulation and it helps you to process information information in a way that is more helpful versus when you're in that heightened state, right? Where your amygdala is activated, you're in that fight or flight state, you're not really processing information in a way that's rational. You're really in that keep myself safe mode. So all you're doing is thinking is like, how can I protect myself? How can I keep myself safe? 
So with EMDR, you're switching from that amygdala to the other part of your brain that is more rational and reasonable and able to put information and pieces together that make sense that aren't in that constant like fight or flight mode. And it's through the bilateral simulation, which is where the eye movements come in, but you can do it through tapping. You can do it through using these pulsers that vibrate back and forth in your hands. So it's this bilateral simulation that helps your brain to process information that you couldn't process in an event previously because you were too activated. And I mean, like that's, that's kind of like the general idea. Um, but it really also helps you to challenge these deeper to negative core beliefs that are tied to these events in your life. And what's really interesting, and you're probably learning this, Kayla, as like you're doing it, is there's, there's like, you know, these big monumental events we have that we usually think are like the events, which usually they are, they're big contributors to our PTSD or our anxiety or, you know, our worldview. But when you do EMDR, you'll come to find that there's these, usually these like more quote, and I'm only saying minor, right? Because it's not typically minor for us, but these more minor events that are tied to this memory network, even before that traumatic event. So say for example, um, a client comes to me and they want to address like a past abusive relationship and they'll maybe identify a belief like I'm not good enough. And we'll, what we do with EMDR is we start with the earliest memory where you had that belief. So even if it wasn't related to the trauma of like the abuse that occurred, it might, there, there's usually these residual, um, memories and experiences that were already there prior to the event. And so it could even be like, okay, so we're doing the, the planning for reprocessing and you find, oh my gosh, like when I was five, this girl in kindergarten told me not to sit next to her. And that's when I felt not good enough. And it's kind of Becky. wild. <laughs> what did you say? Like fucking Becky. Told, right? Like if, <laughs> seriously, it's like, it's like, or like, you know, the, like that boy that pushed me. Like it, yeah. it's like, it's so funny. Cause I'll, I'll talk with clients and they're like, well, okay, but this doesn't seem to matter. And I'm like, I know it doesn't seem that way, but we have these early childhood memories that are super impactful at that developmental stage. And then they build on each other. And then especially when you have this traumatic event, it just makes us hyper aware of that belief and all those other experiences. And it's, I mean, essentially creates like a shit show, right? Like, so maybe like these past experiences weren't that terrible, but then as they build or as you have more, especially with complex trauma, it's hard not to, to fuse yourself to these beliefs and these memories. Oh yeah. I know I, Cause like you said, like, you know, as I'm doing it now and I, I just, I've just started going into the more, we're now doing the reprocessing of specific traumatic events, nothing to, which interestingly, interestingly enough, when I filled out the form of like all of my past traumas, which are a lot, Mm -hmm. but, but, you know, you have to put a number of like how distressful it is now to you. Mm -hmm. me it's like I didn't have that many that were above like a five I think Mm -hmm. a because one a one um sauce Um, (laughs) (laughs) they were a lot of the thing those things happened when I was using or when I was drinking so Mm -hmm. I didn't remember them or my memory is super damaged from 
the alcohol and drug abuse and maybe that's a good thing right like um or i've done the processing work in other modalities of therapy mm-hmm. but like for me specifically the one thing that i'm is kind of the roadblock in my current path to being you know as independent as i possibly can as a human being is for me my anxiety one but more than that, my panic attacks and mm-hmm. my panic attacks, they can happen anywhere, but really they're, they're most closely tied to driving mm. or being in unfamiliar places, um, which I think is scary, especially for a woman, you know, yeah. general. But Already. Exactly. But I do, you know, have past traumas with being left places. Like, I mean, my psycho ex-boyfriend literally left me in Santa Barbara once, like, just was bye and I'm like I'm like on the corner of like a gas station um so awful yeah I'm like uber back to LA um but what I found really interesting in and what I was doing is how how simple it is right like for me I'm just following a blue dot on a screen that's Mm -hmm. the way that I've been doing it and even the things that I found most distressing, like on paper, as I was doing them, I have never reached any level. And I, and I know that's different for everybody, right? But I've never reached a level of like, where I've had to stop doing it, or where it's gotten too uncomfortable, like discomfort mm-hmm. has, has arisen. But I found that, you know, um, the, the coolest part was realizing it didn't hold as much over me as I thought it did. Like, mm-hmm. I think I gave, I gave a lot of my past traumas more power than they really had. And then mm-hmm. when I'm going over them again in a safe space, and like you said, using this bilateral movement kind of re it's almost like replaying the tape, but this time rather than it being like in a different language or on fast forward, you're actually getting to watch it in English in real time and you're like mm-hmm. okay so like that's actually what happened mm-hmm. and that's like I wasn't in any real danger and you know then the going through okay how would you handle it differently this time and for me finding like a positive mantra to go with for me which is like right now um whenever I'm driving now or whenever I'm doing the EMGR I've been kind of saying and reminding myself when we go back to process specific moments where I've had a really massive panic text where I've had to like call 911 in a parking lot because my meds aren't working and I'm just like totally distraught and Mm -hmm. I go back and I we've been reprocessing this and this voice in my head which just tells me um you know no matter what you're going Mm -hmm. to be okay and I just keep repeating that to myself in my head and in the beginning, when I started doing it, like my belief of that trip, like that, it, how true is that statement to you was maybe like mm-hmm. a two or a three. Mm-hmm. And I, then I got to this moment at the end of one session last week where it literally felt like, like a seven and that's the highest it could go. And I was like, holy shit, like I believe this to be true. Mm-hmm. And then I went out after the therapy session and drove to my Spanga class and drove on the highway and ran some errands, didn't have to take a clonopin, didn't have to meditate. Like I just went and did it. And I had that voice, that like confident voice in my mind telling me, no matter what, you're going to be okay. But I believed it to be true. 
And I mm-hmm. think that's such a game changer for me. And that's, you know, what we're working on now. But like you said, it's so simple. And that's why I think people get to, like so thrown off by it. It's like, it's just like a dot moving or you're just tapping. Like, how could that possibly change yeah. brain? But that when you mentioned something too and I want to like point that out is like you can even use it just for the desensitization so if you can take mm-hmm. your distress from like you know a 10 to a 3 like how or even a 10 we'll say even a 10 to an 8 right like that's a huge significance if you can if you're like immobile at a 10 and you can feel less distressed and like so you can like you know get to whatever appointment you need to go or like make that phone call it's so empowering. So I think, and I, I've told you and I've shared this, like, so I, I was trained in it, oh gosh, like almost 10 years ago now, maybe like just under like not eight, nine, 10 years ago. But, um, I only did it as a client this past year and was consistent with it. And I became so much more enthusiastic about it. And it what's really funny is people come to me for talk therapy and then like, you know, we'll uncover something that was traumatic usually right away. And yeah. I'll educate them about EMDR. I'll never force anyone to do it. I think there's a lot of, it, it feels scary, right? When you say we're going to do trauma work, mm-hmm. but I, I do encourage it. If someone's not open to it, I won't push. Absolutely not. But to know that it's so powerful and so helpful and can give you so much relief. I like want everyone to experience it. And so it's something that it's hard not to like push even more, but I think seeing it become so impactful in my life and situations that would just put me on edge don't put me on edge anymore and it's all because of EMDR I did so much talk therapy I'm like you know a therapy queen like I do I'm a therapist but I also like I've always advocated for it but EMDR takes away that visceral body response Mm -hmm. and that's the that's the key because I mean we can only do so much cognitive behavior like reframing right like thought stopping but like when it's in your body EMDR is so helpful for that. So I really encourage anyone to try it. Um, something else though, which I think I've shared with you before is that if there, because it's newer, there aren't as, it's not as available, but more yeah. therapists are becoming trained in it, which is wonderful. So hopefully it becomes more and more available to folks so they can get the support they need through their insurance or, you know, cause it is, it's a luxury. It's definitely, absolutely, and it shouldn't be a luxury. It should be something that's readily available for, for everyone. Yes. And I think you also mentioned too, like making sure that when you're either looking through your insurance or if you're going through like psychology today, wherever you're looking for your mm-hmm. therapist, making sure that they're a trauma informed because mm-hmm. not every therapist is trauma-informed and then b like you said also making sure and looking now to make sure that they are trained in emdr and Mm -hmm. i i know i had mentioned this before but um i I think it was even on your your episode last season but it i I tell people now i'm like it's okay to kind of like interview your therapist like you don't have to assume like okay this is gonna work or like you know we I've had people like talk to me and tell me like like how do I break up with my not like working you know I'm like if I go if I have to go to a new therapist like I go with like a list I'm like all right do you can you provide me with this are you trained in this how many years of experience you have done this like it's fair on both sides right because it it has to work for you it has to work for them and you don't want to waste and especially your money if 
this person is not capable of giving you what you need. Totally. It's a fin- it is a financial investment, even if you have insurance, right? Like copays that adds up and yes. you want to get your money's worth. Like you wouldn't go, like, can you imagine? Like, I just can't imagine doing anything that, especially that's so sensitive and vulnerable with someone who I don't trust. Right. And it won't be effective if you're not feeling safe or like, not even like necessarily safe, but like not heard or seen. Yeah. It's going to be really hard to open up at all. Even with EMDR, even though that doesn't require as much talking, you need that rapport. And I do think people tend to stick with therapists because it's just so hard to find a new one. But I say it's worth putting in the work and like dating around before mm-hmm. committing. And even if it's frustrating and hard and challenging, like I get it. I I've done my research. It's a, it's a, it's a process. And especially being a therapist, I feel like I'm a lot more, not judgmental, but like I'm very particular. Yeah. I know what I want. And so, so you, I, I encourage everyone to be super picky and selective and it's good. So like you, the questions to ask are like, are you trauma informed or do you, do you ever work with individuals who've experienced trauma or complex trauma is a good question to ask if they do EMDR, I would ask if they're seeing a consultant or if they're certified. So for example, I am working towards certification. So it's essentially like one step up than just being trained. You have to have a certain amount of hours. You have to get like, take like a, like a, like an oral exam with a consultant and, so I'm actively receiving consultation, which is really helpful because I learn new skills. Like I feel like it's helpful. So I also think too, to ask if, if the, the therapist is either certified or is working with a consultant. Like, or, cause I think that what's hard is when people are starting to train, not that they can't do it, but you want to feel confident in your therapist. So those are some questions to ask too, when you're looking for an, an EMDR therapist. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Well, I know... I'm, and once again, right, like, if if you're not ready, that's totally okay, I think. Mm-hmm. But I just, I know from all the people I've talked to about it recently, and, like, for me, going through, like, a massive breakup and moving and now leaving my job, um, I'm in this, like, major life transition, which mm-hmm. I don't. I definitely do not think I would be able to be handling it with the grace that I'd like to think that I'm handling it with <laughs> without mm-hmm. for like me, a, my sobriety, B my therapy, like my, my EMDR. And then, but we also do talk therapy. I take my mm-hmm. medication. I, like we were talking about earlier, I microdose, which I want to talk about on another episode. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for me, movement is medicine. So um, I I don't exercise every day, just because we can get in, I think a lot of us, especially like with a with a past or current eating disorder, like currently still dealing with my orthorexia, which is active. Like Mm -hmm. I have to be careful not to over exercise and Mm -hmm. find other ways of movement that don't have to be rigorous and that's that's still okay and um it's a balance right like oh, you know I think all these things like even eating healthy is good for like our our mental and physical health but at the same time if we're restricting or not eating certain foods and depriving ourselves <laughs> I mean that's a whole we should do an episode on that because that's a whole yes it is it's true so it's it's, it's I'm glad you found a balance because it's good to be active but you don't want to I I'm the same way so I struggle with that as I struggled with that as well so I try not to become addicted to the the over exercising 
Yeah. So just finding Mm -hmm. that toolkit. But then, like I said, really just doing this EMDR for me more recently, being really open-minded because I think, especially in sobriety, like depending on if you come from traditional programming or you're just really unsure, it can be scary to start opening up to new modalities or Mm -hmm. um, supplementation or or anything like that because it feels like, well, am I really sober or is this like you want to stay in your safe zone of like, well, I, I got sober. I know how I stayed sober and this is what works for me. But like for me coming up on like six years of recovery, like I've had so much change and evolution of what my recovery looks like and what my toolkit mm-hmm. looks like the first year versus the second year versus now what will be the seventh year, you know? Wow. So, and you know, it's it, that flexibility that you've had to give yourself, exactly. right? I've had to be open-minded to the idea that I need my antidepressants or mm-hmm. that I'm somebody who just, I do better in life when I'm seeing a therapist if I'm doing really well, I don't have to see them as much. Like I'm seeing somebody three times a week right now, which seems like a lot and it is, but mm-hmm. thankfully I have a really good insurance and it's with everything I am dealing with, I need it. You know, yeah. I, I need it and I'm a, and I don't, I don't hold any shame around that, you know, but I'm hoping to get to a place where I don't need that. You know, I can maybe see her once a week or, you know, whatever. And then I see my psychiatrist once a week, but it's all and it's finding it was, a regimen exactly. to your like current circumstances and seasons. And I think that's going to be, and you know yourself and what I'm, what also that you said, and I, we've talked about this, I mean, like, I feel like, I feel like we're over, I'm overemphasizing it, but just this idea of, um, and now I lost my chain of thought because you mentioned, um, but just this idea of like seeing someone Oh my God. Now I lost a train of thought, Kayla. I totally forgot what I was going to say, but you had a good point. And I was like, Oh my God, I feel like, feel that. But I, I guess I'm just saying it's like kind of like being, Oh, being proactive. Right. And like, and yes. so if, if you're going, if what you need to stay safe is seeing someone more regularly or what you need to like maintain that stability and maintain your recovery and to feel safe in your own skin and your own home. And it's these things like, why not? You know what I mean? If you, especially if you have insurance and can do it through that, I also think stuff like acupuncture has been helpful for me. So like you said, expanding your, your lens of what could work. Acupuncture was wonderful. And it's something I would also encourage a lot of people to try. And I've had a lot of friends find that really helpful for anxiety and mood. Yeah, And they have acupuncturists that specialize in that, which is really cool too. Yeah. And I, I feel like, I mean, I love Eastern medicine. I just did cupping this morning and mm. once a week and it's just, I think you, you have to try everything. Like, and that's part of like what I'm writing about in my book is, is there's going to be, you know, a toolkit section, but it's more nuanced because I think, you know, we all get, we all get it right. Like go exercise, eat healthy, meditate, blah, blah, blah. Right. Like, okay. But like, tell me something else. Like Mm -hmm. I love telling people about like my ice cube hack, you know, like, which Mm -hmm. is obviously, for you, you know what that is. But for a lot of people, like, I'm like, dude, when I get a panic attack, I carry my ice pack with me everywhere. I put my, I hold my ice pack or if I have, you know, ice cubes, I hold them in my hands and I really like, you know, activate my parasympathetic nervous system. And like, Mm -hmm. I use the physiological symptoms and I target those instead of the 
psychological ones for mm-hmm. self out of fight or flight using these tricks. And so it's, it's so cool, but so many people don't know about them and that's totally fucking free. It's an ice cube. Yeah. You know? I was, I was talking to, so all my friends are therapists, by the way, like almost, I mean, all, or all, they're all in the mental health field or social yeah, workers. Exactly. So like, God, it's like everyone, but I was talking to my girlfriend about this yesterday and she was telling, we were just talking about like how, so she works as a school social worker and like sometimes, like she was saying, I use all the evidence-based practices and I did all these things. And what this kid needed was to watch a clip from the office. Like that's what they needed. That made them laugh. That distracted them from like the high level of anxiety. And I'm not ashamed to use it if that's going to help, that's going to help them to regulate. And totally. so it's like, we can like, and I do think there it's hard because, and I um, was actually, Women's Health just posted this article that was really cool because it was saying you know like all these social media influencers and even therapists on social media are saying this is the cure but it's it's not a one-size-fits-all so you do have to figure out what works for you so even if someone says meditate okay for me mindfulness is walking my dog and not having music on or not talking to someone like it's being like very present like letting her sniff like I'm sniffing too (laughs) like we're all like you know and so it's like it's finding what works for you and not necessarily because I think too I've had clients even been like I like really don't like journaling. Like the thought they want to journal and they're like, I'm going to try journaling. And they're like, I hate it. Like, I feel like it's not helpful. I don't really want to do it. Then I feel like mad at myself. So I'm like, Hey, well then don't journal. Like we don't, we don't want you to be like agonizing over what to do. Find something that works for you. So you're not in that, like in that moment of crisis, like forcing yourself to journal. Like that doesn't sound great. Right. No. And I think it's to your point, right. Taking the shame away from it. Like I used to be kind of like, embarrassed about having this ice pack that I would take with me everywhere but now Mm -hmm. like I mean a it's usually in the bag anyways but like yeah or if I'm like you know going on a date with somebody or hanging with a new friend or whatever and I and I have it nobody's really asked but like it's there so like sometimes I'll just address it because you know whatever and I'm like oh man that's just my ice pack in case I get anxiety because I take it into yoga and stuff too and everyone's like oh okay and I've even had the opportunity to give it to somebody else who needed it once in a yoga class. And to me, that was so cool. To I be, love that. Oh my God. I have, I have what you need. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and you like normalize it, right? Like it's exactly. nothing, this is nothing to be ashamed of. If you have a panic like, attack, it's stressful, but it's nothing to be ashamed of. Exactly. So I think that and anything else that, you know, that we're struggling with, I think a lot of us hold shame around. So it's just, being super open about it, being, you know, talking about it, shedding light on it. I think, is it like a Brené Brown quote? That's like, you know, like, um, yeah. Something about shame, like shame can only grow in the darkness. So like you have to shine a light on it. So Mm -hmm. it's like the more, the more I talk about my recovery, the more I talk about my slips, the more I talk about you know, any, I just generally any kind of issues I have, which are like a lot of issues. Um, <laughs> it's just, it, it opens up, I think, a narrative. And then it also allows, I think it gives so many other people permission to, to A, be like, oh my gosh, okay, I'm not alone. And B, hopefully, maybe be more open themselves about whatever they're going through. Because I think it's that, you know, domino effect, or I forget you know, where, yeah, and, and domino effect in a sense, but even, even a larger effect, almost like a ripple effect where it's like one well, drop, then it just could can completely it's, do a tidal wave. 
it's that like common humanity. So like a lot of the self-compassion yeah. practices is that common humanity acknowledging we're all human. We all experience pain and suffering. So like, I think having that connection to someone else knowing they also go through something, not like we're wishing that on them, but like knowing I'm not alone in this, like we may be struggling for different reasons, but we're both struggling with anxiety or we both have depression or we both are going through this, tra- like this transition in our yeah. lives is helpful. And I mean, again, so I have all my friends are therapists. So I feel, feel like I have a weird situation where like, we're all talking about our stuff all the time, but <laughs> like you mentioned, like, you know, skin picking. And I've also done that, like, especially when I'm anxious or something's like there's a trigger, like stressful event or situation. I'll like, definitely that activates it. But me and my girlfriend were able to be like, we relapse, like that happened. And it's like, cause like typically there's shame, but being able to share that with someone who also gets it, who understands how compulsive that behavior is. It's so nice to know, like there's no judgment in that they get it and that it's something that we're both trying to work on. And I don't know, it's, it's definitely, it's, I think if anything, like, and that's what the therapist is finding when you feel connected to and rapport, like feeling seen and heard is probably the most healing of everything. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. I think the more, and this is why I tell people like connect with your community, whether it's, it's through an app, whether it's through an online support group, whether it's through Instagram, Facebook, like, there's so many different groups out there and, and places and online communities where you can find people who literally have the exact same issues as you. And it's mm-hmm. so, like you said, it, it's just so relieving when you can talk to somebody about something that you're, you thought you were like so weird for, or like you just really felt isolated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you're like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So like, I'm not a freak or an alien like so many people also suffer from this. And like you said, it's not about like, oh, glad, I'm glad people are suffering. It's okay, well, like we can we can kind of suffer together and then we can also <laughs> find a solution together. Right. And I think it's helpful too, like when you're like, to your point, like with influencers or celebrities or any anybody you look up to too, when they're talking mm-hmm. about it and it, it humanizes it even more because it's important for for everybody to just talk about it like everybody you know even if you don't Mm -hmm. know it or you don't think it there are people who look you know look up to you there are people who love you and who care about you and who admire you and Mm -hmm. I think when you are just super radically honest with people like Mm -hmm. that's at least what I've been told like being in this you know sober online community and and being somebody who started one and stuff like think people have a perception of who I am and I'm like Mm -hmm. dude that's like that's the highlight reel right like that's this that's this certain version of me that you that maybe you heard on uh, I was being interviewed on or something Mm -hmm. right like a very specific version of me versus like this version of me where I can talk about all the fucked up things that are wrong with me and just be real about like what's going on in my life and I I think it helps or you like, a, you know, a therapist, it's like, oh, you're a therapist, you must totally have all your shit together, because like, you're helping other people. It's like, dude, nobody gets into therapy who has no problems. Like, that's no, just- no, there's usually a motivator, what it's like, personal, like personal experience or family, you know, like, totally. And exactly, well, you know, I was thinking too, is like, I so I self disclose as appropriate, but I, I do think it's one of two ways people perceive therapists as either being like perfect and like knowing it all and applying practicing and preaching everything 
like perfectly, which is far from the truth, or very like fucked up. Like, you know, like, yeah. like I feel like they're like, but I feel like it's a more of a middle ground, right? It's like we have the tools, we know it, but we're human. And it's hard to give ourselves, it's hard to give, you know, we're, we're our own worst critics. That's human. That's part of being human. So, but I, I, I like being open because when I've had therapists self disclose or share things, that's honestly been, that's been one of the best interventions for me. I can yes. probably say I've received aside from like EMDR. It's like the self-disclosure, which is like appropriate. It's not like details, but it's like, oh, wow. Like you do get it. You understand. Like, I don't exactly. know. You're not just like yeah. reading from a textbook or like, you mm-hmm. know, you're not, this is just not your professional experience. This is also your personal experience. And like, mm-hmm. that's why I've been with the same psychiatrist for six years. And she was like, I might move to Florida. And I'm like, no, you will not move well, I, Florida I have a good nurse practitioner and I have a good nurse practitioner if you need someone who I will share her contact with everyone Love yeah her. I was like no you won't you won't move there because <laughs> there. <laughs> don't leave me um but yeah I mean I, I think there's so many good tidbits in this and I mean it's kind of a long first episode but I think we got so many good tidbits and everything in and I'm just so excited for this season and I'm excited for guests that we have and topics that we're gonna like cover and it's gonna be nuanced and we might ruffle some feathers and we might just open some minds and I'm I'm here for it I'm excited and I was gonna say if anyone like we just covered a lot of shit yes (laughs) but if anyone has like thoughts about it or like wants us to talk more on one of these subjects I'd be happy to because I want to give all these subjects like more time it just exactly all these topics are super meaningful yeah so always connect with us on our Instagram we're on there every day send us a DM whether it's feedback whether it's a suggestion whether it's hey I heard this talk more about this or even Mm -hmm. if you just want to connect with one of us about what you're going through or mm-hmm. maybe like we're we're happy to point you in the right direction for resources uh if you're in the sober sober curious space i'm happy to point you in the direction of communities and and resources for that as well so like mm-hmm. just know we're completely open um our our well our instagram handle is just at generation dry pod or you can just mm-hmm. look up Generation Dry and then it's in, um, we'll put it in the, the description for today along with some other resources that we talked about, um, like including, um, you know, some more information on OCD, some more information on EMDR. Um, and then I'll see if I can find like an, it's kind of an interesting article that touches on some of the other topics we talked about. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Leah, I mean, I'm, I just want to say thank you again for being my co-pilot and joining the Generation Drive podcast. I think this is going to be a really amazing season. Thank you for listening to another episode of Generation Dry, a podcast for the sober and sober curious. If you like what you've been listening to, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. For more information about this episode, you can check out the description. And for more techniques and tips, make sure to follow us on Instagram at generationdrypod. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you guys next week.